I know you're not supposed to do this in church. This is just not right. But gentlemen, if you're sitting beside your wife, who is the mother of the children in your family, would you just lean over and give her a peck on the cheek right quick? It's okay. Just right here in church, just kiss each other. There you go. And go home and tell everybody the scandalous thing that that preacher told us to do in church. I've got script. There's some scripture about holy kiss, isn't it, somewhere? Yeah, find that for me, Barry, and cover my back, okay? There you go. Uh, scripture we read a little bit ago, Titus 2. I apologize for being in a pensive mood this morning. The pastor's supposed to come in all up here, you know, and I'm sort of down here today. I've got this little thinky thing going on in my head. Uh, as, as Barry's singing a song, I'm remembering all these scenes from my childhood and all the things that mom did. The one in particular that I'm remembering is her dragging me out from under the bed by my foot to give me a spanking because I got wet down the creek after she told me not to go down there. That's okay. But all the things that, that it just, it's sort of cool. It's sort of cool. It's sort of cool. I don't know if you noticed or not the uh, flowers that were up here. Um, Cecil handles getting flowers in here and uh, does a wonderful job of making the sanctuary look beautiful. But I was thinking too that when I was, uh, when I was a little boy, everybody, it was, it was tradition where I was that if your mom was alive, you wore a red rose on your lapel and that if your mom had passed away, you wore a white rose on your, pate- on your patel, on your lapel. And it, we made sure that on Mother's Day, we wore something that you could pin a flower to. And uh, it, it, was, it was a thing around our house that if we started to leave the house and didn't have our flower on, the boys would pitch a fit. You know, we've got to go cut a rose and we weren't good at roses at my house, so they weren't necessarily a pretty rose, but they were a rose nevertheless that we wore on our lapel to honor Mama that day. So, eh, just cool stuff. I don't know what kind of, of things that you've got in your family that y'all have done over the years, but it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But I've got a profound truth to share with you this morning. It's a very, very profound truth, and I'm, I'm sure that when you hear it, you'll probably get whiplash when you hear it because it's so big. A man is not a woman. Okay, you can go home now. Let's pray. (laughs) Might not sound so profound to you now, but if you watch any amount of television at all, and I know I use a lot of television illustrations, I do not sit around watching hours and hours of television. But you do catch things as you watch what you watch, and I notice that in our society right now, there's a degree of confusion over this issue. But let me assert to you again that a man is not a woman. In our society right now, it seems that we decide if a person is male or female based on their sexual attraction at that particular moment in time or on what kind of clothes they prefer to wear. But I I submit to you this morning that clothes and dating habits are but a tiny portion of what makes a person a man or a woman. Beyond the fact that our basic plumbing is seriously different, our wiring harnesses are connected to different versions of brains. And I can give you a perfect illustration of that this morning. A couple of weeks ago, some of our committees had working sessions after the morning service. 
So, and we figured we were going to be working, you know, hour and a half, two hours after the service is over. Laura was working with one committee. I was working with another committee. We got together and decided that if we didn't feed these people, these committee meetings might not go so well. So let's have lunch. Now, I thought that lunch would be fine if we just grab a couple of pizzas, get a couple of sodas, some cups, a little bit of ice, steal some plates and napkins out of the kitchen, throw them on the table, say, here, eat. Everybody would eat, they'd be fed, we'd do our communion, we'd move on. Laura was very kind. She mumbled something about pizza. And she said, I'll just make roast beef. And I said, Laura, that's an awful lot of work to do for this. I mean, just a couple of pizzas will be fine. And she gave me that sympathetic look that women tend to give to men, you know, when we're really saying something dumb. And she says to me, you know, I'll just take care of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Magical words to a man's ears. She's going to take care of everything. So we had our meeting and we had our lunch. And at our lunch, Laura provided roast beef, potatoes, green beans, carrots, rolls, tea, and two different kinds of dessert. I was going to give you cheese pizza. A man is not a woman. And I bring this up because that's one of the truths that Paul is bringing up or, or is behind what Paul is teaching to Titus in the book of, of Titus. A man is not a woman, and there are certain things that only a woman can do. There are certain things that only a woman can do. Now, very quickly, we need to look at the situation that this book was written into so we can get the feel for what, what's being said and, and how it's being said. He's writing this into, uh, he's writing it to Titus who is on the island of Crete. Christianity spreading across parts of Asia, if you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea, parts of Asia, it's moving into Europe. You've got Greece here, you've got Turkey here, you've got the island of Crete sort of under, centered between those two. And they're planting churches on this island and Titus is in charge. Paul has set Titus up to be in charge of putting some order to these churches and how they operate and getting everything going there. And the thing about the society is that Crete at that time had a reputation. If you read chapter 1 of Titus, you find that Paul quotes a writer as saying that Cretans are always liars, always evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And if you look around, you can find other quotes about Cretans. Cicero, the great philosopher, said that Cretans consider it honest to thieve. If you were a good thief... They thought you were a good person. Whoa, look what a good thief this person is. And we look at those folks, and that is, the, that is the environment that this church was being planted in. And then you look at that, and you think, how horrible those people were, and how does that relate to our society? But then you look at our society, and you wonder, why do we have to have so many lawyers? I wonder why. Could it be because we have so many liars? There was a time, right, when you would shake hands with a man and you would go do business and you would do exactly what you shook hands to do. Nowadays, if you listen to any talk radio at all and you listen to financial, these financial programs, on the financial programs they say that if you're even going to lend money within your family, you need to go to a lawyer and get a contract drawn up because a handshake is just two pieces of flesh meeting each other. doesn't necessarily mean anything. 
So maybe our society's a little bit like that. Do I need to talk about evil beasts? What happened last night in Mississippi? Two more police officers were gunned down in Mississippi last night. These are the guys who are charged with keeping us safe. It is not a good time to be a police officer. If you are involved in law enforcement, we pray for you because of the time that we live in right now. And lazy gluttons, I could go one way with that, but let's go another way with that. In a society where 51 or 52% of the people work and the other 48% don't, and I understand that in that 48% that there are people who really can't work, and that's fine. We don't mind taking care of you. But I've seen a lot of pretty babies being born recently, and I've not noticed that every, out of every two that one of them is so handicapped they'll never be able to work again. I submit to you this morning that our society and the society that Paul is getting Titus to, to plant these churches and organize these churches in are not that different. The societies are just not that different. Times aren't that different. People are people, and there are certain things that only women can do. There are certain things that only women can do. And that statement's not politically correct either, is it? Everybody's supposed to be able to do everything. Men can do what women do. Women can do what men do. But I'm telling you, in the church... If we are striving to lead godly lives, we are going to do things differently and say things differently than the world outside of us. And I'm submitting to you this morning that there are things that women can do that men can't. I don't care how you put it. We are going to look different and we are going to act different in the church. Now, we work hard not to. It's a known fact that our adolescents, children, and youth do everything they can to support their individuality, but at the same time, they don't want to be called out as being different. And we say that's a phase of life that they go through. But then you look at adults and look at the things that we do to try to blend in with everybody else. Had a friend of mine that built a house. Uh, didn't build a house. He bought a house in Howard Oaks. Do you all know Howard Oaks in Macon? It's, I don't know if it's like it used to be, but... but Back then, it was the place to live. It was where money was located. And he bought him a house there. And that's where he and his family lived, was in Howard Oaks. And when it came time for him to move, I went over to his house to help him get some stuff together. And when I walked in the front door, the whole front of his house was empty. And I made a comment about having moved all this stuff already. And he said, no, we just never had the money to buy furniture. All these years, he had lived in this house. From the outside, man, it was fabulous. Lawn was immaculate, everything was gorgeous. You walk into his house, and the living room and dining area, the whole front of the house, was as empty as the day that they bought the house because they couldn't afford to buy furniture. And you wonder why? Well, why? Because the job he had, the peers he had, had houses sort of kind of like that, and he felt like he had to be like everybody else. I'm submitting to you this morning, church, we can't do that. We don't look like everybody else. The things that we say are not going to be like everybody else. Jesus tells us to take up our cross, be ready to sacrifice our wants and desires, to follow him wherever he goes, no matter what it is that he wants us to do. Do you have any illusions that that means that you're going to be able to blend into society? It's not a possibility. We are called out to be different and we will be different. 
So I'll say it again this morning. There are things that only women can do. And Paul is wise enough to understand that. Now let's look at the things that he talks about in here that a woman is supposed to do. The first three of them apply basically to everybody. In the first part of verse 3, Paul talks about these behaviors and with every leader in the church, he speaks about these three behaviors. Now he talks to older women first and this is where Paul will get in trouble this morning. Not Randy, because see Randy is merely conveying the message that Paul put out there. This is not me speaking. He defines old as 60. He defines old as 60. An older woman is 60 years of age or older. Now, we can doesn't say 60 years right here. You go through Paul's writings and you find out that that's his break point. You are an older woman at 60. Now, this is where I don't get in trouble. If you are younger than 60, he considers you to be a young woman. Yeah, yeah, so if you're 59, my age, you're still considered young. There it is. Next year, you're old. This year, you're still a babe. Yeah, so that's the way this thing works. And he's talking to these older women, these women who are older than 60 years old. And he tells them to be reverent in behavior. Now, reverent, reverent in behavior. We think of reverent, I do, in terms of old church. You know, you come in and you talk quietly and you have your hands folded and you're dressed a certain way and, and you have this manner of quietness about you, you know. This, this kind of thing is reverence here. I'm telling you right now, if a group of women come to me with their heads bowed a little bit and their hands folded and they're muttering to themselves, I know that I need to find out what I have done wrong and how I can fix it real quick because they're going to hurt me. That is not reverence. Reverence is an awareness. Reverence is an understanding that we take seriously the fact that we belong to God. Oh, Randy, I've heard that. No, 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 no. Think about what that says. We take seriously the fact that we belong to God. We take seriously that fact. So we turn to that spouse that we kissed on the cheek a minute ago and we look at that woman and the woman looks at that man and understands that that man and that woman belong to God. And your children belong to God. And your pets belong to God. And your friends belong to God. All your worldly possessions belong to God. Everything that surrounds you belongs to God. When we walked outside this morning, it's such a beautiful Mother's Day morning. Not a cloud in the sky, just a deep blue. And the sun's coming up and it's cool outside. All of that belongs to God. And reverence means that you have a depth of understanding about the majesty and the glory of a God who would create that and deliver it and give it to you. Do you understand? He gave that as a gift to you. That man or woman sitting beside you is a gift to you. These children sitting beside you are your gift that he has given to you and to live your life every day with the understanding that, that all of this is a gift from God, that is reverence. That's what it means to be reverent, 
Not that you've got your hands folded and you act funny. It means that you understand where it all came from. It's knowing that what I see, I feel, I hear, I taste, what I've touched was created by me, by my most benevolent father for my enjoyment and so that I could help other people understand who he is so they can enjoy it too. I'm telling you, if you'll chew on that for just a little while, that'll make a difference in the way you behave. Because it's hard for me to turn to you and despise you when I realize that you were created by the same God that created me and that you're a gift to me and I'm a gift to you. It's got to change my behavior. It's got to change the way I act. Then he links the next two behaviors together. And I hate this. I, when, I, when I get to this, I really don't even want to talk about it in the Baptist church because <laughs> it's such an issue. He says... Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. I don't know why he couldn't just say not drink, but he doesn't say that. He says not slaves to much wine, and he links those two together. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now, we could talk about alcohol for a whole service sometime. Let's get the idea out. What he's saying here is that the older women do not linger over their wine. It means that they don't sit there with their wine glass and they've got a full bottle and then they drink their glass and they have a little bit more and they drink their glass and they have a little bit. They don't linger. They don't stand at the bar for five hours and drink. That's what he's saying here is they don't linger and, and he links those two together because you know if she lingers over her wine then her tongue will get lubricated right and that lubrication causes the friction to pass away and she can start saying things that she wouldn't normally say and then she ends up saying things that she shouldn't have said and now she ends up with slanderous things coming out of her mouth Paul says those two are linked be careful with that now they're also separate but they're also linked if you do, if you linger, chances are you're going to end up in the slander realm. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, Randy wants to add another caution on top of this just because of what I see happening in life around me, and you see the same thing. Skydiver jumps out of an airplane. He jumps out, he pulls the ripcord, the chute doesn't open, he slams into the ground and dies. There's two reactions that you can have to that tragedy. The first one is to look at it and feel bad for the person that died, to feel compassion on the family and the friends. That's the first thing. The second thing you can do is start speculating about what happened. You know, why did, why did he not pull it? Was he trying to commit suicide? Did somebody push him? Did his wife pack his, uh, pack his parachute for him and she wanted to make sure that he, he had a bad day? I mean, exactly what was going on here. You know when that German wings plane crashed into the Alps a couple of months ago? That plane had not settled onto the side of that mountain before people were already speculating about what caused that plane to crash. Not a single fact had no idea in the world what caused that to happen. And yet for 24 hours, the news is continually talking about what could have been. We have lots of tragedies happen in our lives, people. We have divorces happen. I don't know anybody that gets married with the thought in the back of their mind that they want to get divorced in six years. Or they want to get divorced in 24 years. We have deaths that happen in our family. I don't know anybody that has a child that's born that the first thought is, is I hope when they're 25, 7, 9, 52 that they die. We don't have those kind of thoughts. We might get mad and say that, but that's not what we mean. We're just mad. 
people have things happen in their lives. When people have things happen in their lives, don't slander the family. Hurt for them first. Hurt for them first. And let the facts come out over time if they need to, but hurt for them first because there is pain to go around for everybody that's involved in that family. And understand this, and we'll, we'll get to this in a second in this, sometimes somebody else's business ain't none of your business. So keep your nose out of it, except for the fact that the person is hurt and you want to offer them compassion and maybe they've strayed and instead of slandering them you want to draw them back into the fold because that's what the church is all about is making people whole again that's in here just got to look for it a little bit a little bit of randy added into it too now here's the part that only a woman can do starts with the end of verse three and gets to verse five older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women that's those of you over 60 train those who are under 60 to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled pure working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands don't go freaking out because of some of the stuff it says some of it doesn't mean exactly the words that are on paper here Paul very wisely understands that there are things that a man cannot do and I cannot teach you how to be a woman. I can't do it. I cannot teach you how to be a woman. And Paul is wise enough to understand that he cannot teach a woman how to be a godly woman. You can teach it philosophically. We can lay the principles out there that come from a classroom. But for a woman to understand how to be a woman, only a woman can teach a woman how to do that. A man cannot do it. We can stand up and rail and spit and holler and scream and cuss and sit and be quiet and do. We do whatever we want to. You can't teach a woman how to be a woman. Only a woman can do that. And I like one of the words he uses here. He uses the word train. You're going to understand why I like this word so much. See, train means to encourage. It means to advise. And it means to bring to their senses. And women, I want you to help. Older women, I want you, the younger women to help them understand that just because I leave the toilet seat up every now and then, it will not cause a rip in the space-time continuum. We will not crash into a star and all die. Just help them come to their senses and understand that reality, okay? Come to their senses. Understand what reality is. Over 60 years old, you've got this life experience that you can help the younger women understand what reality is. Now, what are those things? How to love your husband and your children. Well, nobody needs to, you don't have to teach somebody how to live their, love their husband and children. Well, I'm not so sure about that. But let's think about the history now of, of where this was preached into. It was preached into the island of Crete. They didn't get married for love. They had arranged marriages. So you came home one day. Can you think? Think with me for a minute. Play in your minds for just a second. Those of you who are engineers, work hard with me and go into this fantasy mode for just a second. You come home from work. 
You are exhausted. You've worked hard all day long. And your mama walks up and says, it's such a wonderful day. And you go, what's so wonderful about it? Are we having something good to eat tonight? Your daddy will talk to you about it in a minute. And then daddy comes to the room and he says, sit down, son. I want to tell you something. We've picked out a bride for you. You've what? We have a woman for you. Her name is Kim. Have I ever met her? No. When will I meet her? On your wedding night? Really? Yeah, because she'll be wearing a veil during the wedding. You won't even get to see her. Oh, how special is that? Why would we need to teach somebody how to love? Well, there you are, right? There you are. But now here's what I want to submit to you how this works into here. And I'm not going to belabor this point. I'm just going to hit you with it and I'm going to run as fast as I can. A couple will say to me, we just don't love each other anymore. Older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands and their children. Next, it says self-control and purity. Younger women are to be taught that the world is watching the church and they must scrupulously avoid any immorality in thought or in deed. That means that older women are telling the younger women, don't go to that movie. Don't read those books. Don't watch those programs. Don't let these thoughts come into your mind because when these thoughts come into your mind, they will cause you to do things, go places that you don't need to go that's going to give the church a bad name and it's going to cause you heartache later on. Older women teach the younger women. Older women teach the younger women to work at home. This is the one that you will misunderstand if you take it at face value. It does not mean that a woman cannot have a job working outside the family. In Paul's world, working at home means that you are not a busybody going from house to house, spreading your gossip, spreading your idle stories. He's telling you, stay at your house, deal with your own business. That's what he's saying. Older women, tell these younger women not to be going all over the place and spreading stuff. They need to be staying at home, making their home a home, and let the rest of the world deal with their own stuff. And then he says to teach the, old, the older women to teach the younger women to be kind and submissive to their husbands. Kind means that you treat the people in your own house with benevolence. Folks, we don't do that real well, and we know we don't do that real well because what we'll do is go to work and treat everybody very, very nicely and then come home and treat everybody at home like they're Satan. That is wrong, backwards, not right. Paul is saying older women teach the younger women how to treat their families with kindness, how to treat their own families with benevolence, how for them to treat their husbands as well as they treat the strangers that they talk to on the street. And then he says for the older women to teach the younger women how to be submissive to their husbands. We'll talk about all that one day. I want to say this to the husbands and not to the wives. Husbands, Paul never says that you have the right to demand that your wife be submissive to you. Well, I know good and well the scripture says, find it and bring it to me. Prove me wrong. 
Paul never says that you have a right to go to your wife and demand that she be submissive to you. What Paul is telling the older women to teach the younger women is for the younger women to give their submission to you as a gift. And you don't get to demand a gift. A gift is given. Now, we've gone through all of this, not nearly in the detail that it deserves, but to get to the most important point. Why should older women do this? Why should younger women listen to older women in the first place? That the word of God may not be reviled. If you turn that and make it into a positive statement, that you do this, that the word of God be honored. That the word of God be honored. I have a friend in this church that says something like this all the time. You can't change a person's behavior until you change a person's heart. And Jesus says that himself. That it's not what goes into your body that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth that comes from your heart that says who you are, that says who you belong to. Paul's assumption here is that the older women, in all of the years of their experience and wisdom, they understand who God is and what God has done for them. And he assumes that they're wise enough to be motivated to act by their love, their devotion, and their gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks at an older woman and says that those things should be in her. And if she'll look at herself, she probably, if she is a godly woman, will be able to see those things in her. And he says that is yours to be shared. He expects older women to disciple. That's the church word that we use. Older women to disciple younger women how to be women of God. Now I can preach it till I'm blue in the face. I can lay out what the scriptures say. I can parse the the tense of every verb. I can tell you what every noun, adverb, and adjective means. I can go in what's behind it, but I can tell you I don't know how to be a woman. I do not know what it's like to carry a child in my womb. I don't know what it's like to want to carry a child in my womb. And the strange thing was, is when I was sitting down working on this sermon, trying to think about all the things of a woman that I don't know, it dawned on me that I don't know what I don't know because I am not a woman. I don't act like a woman. I don't think like a woman. I don't have a woman's heart, a woman's body, a woman's mind. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. But older women do know. I know that a man is not a woman. And that there are certain things that only a woman can do. And older women, it's your responsibility, Paul says, to teach the younger women how to do these things. Now, don't go home and say, I've got to do all these things that Paul said to Titus. Go home and do this. Pray and tell the Father, I want to know you more than I know you now, and I want to love you like only a woman can love their Savior. And as you fall more deeply in love with him by praying that prayer on a regular basis, these things that we've talked about are going to start coming. They're going to start happening. They're born out of who we are. And older ladies, God's word puts a burden of responsibility on you. You do not get the opportunity to lean back and talk about the craziness of this younger generation and how these younger women don't know how to act and don't know what they're supposed to do. 
Because he says that your job, your job is to instruct them to teach what is good and so train the young people. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. I'm retired. I have discovered something about God's retirement plan. He don't pay off until you kick off. The song says, we'll work till Jesus comes and then we'll be carried home. Ladies, on Father's Day, we talked about men, how they should do. It's Mother's Day. Older women, you have a responsibility. Younger women, you hear what God, how he would have you to act. And all of these things are born of his spirit that grows out of us. Let's take our responsibility seriously. I want to change the world. Here's God's will for your life right here. Change the world the way he says to change the world. Let's pray. Help us to not make it hard, Father. Help us to hear your word and accept your word for what it is. Your voice speaking to us. Telling us that this is the way. Walk in it. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken our spirits this morning and help us not to be like the world. That we would start, as I sense in this church, Lord, that we, we're starting to recognize that we are different and we need to be different. And we will be different. We will do whatever it takes. And while we are fearful of whatever it might take, we know that when the day does come that we go to glory, that we will see gifts that we could not even imagine. Help us, Father. Hear your word and apply it to our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.